race at the end of the action, 12 teams came and competed for gold. As they fell by the wayside, two teams rose to play in the final. In the men's, it was Australia and Belgium. It was a classic juggernaut final that ultimately went down to shootouts. And in the cruelest way possible, it was the Belgians who won their first ever gold medal and will celebrate success along with assistant coach Craig Fulton from South Africa. In the men's tournament, it is Belgium as the champions. The women's tournament, of course, had one outright favorite. And what we know is how difficult it is to lead from the front. For Netherlands, it wasn't. They were dominant from day one till day 14. And today, in a 3-1 victory against Argentina, they have lifted gold medals that they so badly wished they had done in 2016. Champions once again, Alison Annan there, and of course the South African and their coaching staff, Ray Talcott, congratulations. Joining me to discuss it, to digest it, to break it all down is our heavy hitters. It's none other than Justin Reedross and Marsha Cox. Guys, welcome. Thanks for joining me as you have. Um, yeah, wow. Well, let, let's start with yesterday, and simply the best way to say this is, wow, what a great final. Yeah, definitely. Uh, great, to, great to be on again. Thanks for having me. Um, wow, yeah. I think the two, uh, two best teams of the tournament meeting in the final, uh, two highest goal scorers of the tournament meeting in the final, two highest scoring teams. Uh, yeah, uh, I think it was always going to be an exciting game. KG, as, uh, as you can imagine, the final to be. Um, pretty happy that we eventually saw a couple of goals falling. Um, but yeah, what a, what a cool way for, a, for an Olympic final to finish with, uh, with shootouts. And it was a, a really, really great game. We got to halfway, 0-0. It was uh, Belgium who had most of the action in the early parts of the game. They had more possession, more circle penetrations. They had a couple of penalty corners. Uh, Alexander Hendricks looking to try and break the record, needed a hat-trick, but he was, of course, denied, denied, denied. A really, really good defensive first half by Australia. But after all that work, they conceded really early in the second half, and that uh, opened the game up a little bit, not quite into the goal-scoring uh, spree that we maybe expected, but uh, a bit of a, an opportunistic goal by Belgium. Uh, not one that Van Obel will ever forget, though. No, no, certainly not. And I think you hit the nail on the head there, Ty. It was a, it was a game that Belgium looked like they were going to dominate from start to finish, especially after the first uh, first few minutes of the game. Um, you know, I think that they've been a team that that have got such a distinct style of play, um, really, really difficult to break down, and are so dangerous going forward. And yeah, looking at Australia again, I think maybe maybe even overachieved a little bit this tournament. You know, going through the the pool phase, um, they got some really big results, and I think did really well. Uh, but that might have to do with the fact that nobody had seen them, um, you know, before before the game started. Um, you know, playing the typical uh, attacking brand of hockey, uh, but with a, with a fairly inexperienced side, a couple of young players in there that uh, that I think a lot of people wouldn't have seen or wouldn't have really even heard of before. Um, you know, so. Uh, Getting to the final, I think, was a was a big achievement for them. Um, and yeah, being there, they probably would have expected themselves to take it one step further. 
uh, especially you know for for players like Eddie Ockerman probably playing in his in his last games, uh, somebody that's won pretty much everything except Olympic gold. Um, I think they would have really wanted to do it for for someone like that. But um, yeah, the, the goals that were scored, pretty pretty opportunistic, yeah, like you say, Florent Fonobel just uh, yeah. You know he's he's known as the magician, and you can see why just pouncing on a on a you know very small opportunity and turning it with some really fantastic handwork into a into a fantastic goal. So uh, yeah, that that set things off, set the tone for the game, and um, yeah, really opened things up a little bit in the second half. And I think the Aussies will be uh, will be pretty chuffed with the way they came back, despite not having many chances in the game. They still managed to uh, to sneak a goal back and uh, and, and and force the draw. And Marsha, yourself, when you're watching that. Uh... It really was a proper juggernaut battle, a proper technical final. Uh, Belgium yeah. looked the better team, but all of a sudden they were pegged back at one all. And it, to me, felt like Australia were looking more likely to go win it in normal time. Yeah, I think prior to the game, we all knew that it was going to be a, um, a game where you were going to see world-class and uh, very technical play tactics were going to be important. But we, we definitely were not going to see a dogfight out there with uh, some physical, um, you know, play with somebody dropping a shoulder or getting in the way physically. Um, that for me is always quite exciting to watch. So I was a little disappointed that there were no uh, <laughs> physical uh, clashes. But on the other hand, it was really entertaining to see uh, two teams that, that set the standard for the rest of the world to, to sort of achieve. And they came out and they put out a classy uh, performance with the shootouts. I um, was a bit nervous for Australia considering the comment that I'd heard from Mo Furster the day before where he said that the Australian goalkeeper is not the strongest at, uh, at shootouts. So I was uh, a little bit nervous for them in that regard and, and sort of um, keen to see how the pressure of a final situation would impact on both of these teams. But I think that the uh, result was as we, we predicted. Belgium deserved the, that goal. Yeah and, yeah, and I mean, what a moment for, for Shane McLeod. That is the way he is signing out as the head coach of Belgium. Six years in charge and he has, I mean, he has revolutionized that hockey program. He turned them around into world beaters, Olympic silver medalists, World Cup champions, European champions. I mean, the man has done it all. There, there, there must be a queue of people wanting to get him in charge now. Yeah, yeah. I think there'll definitely be a lot of people, um, you know, vying for for his uh, for his signature to take over national programs. Um, but yeah, take take nothing away from the from the platform that was built before him as well. You know, Belgium have come a long way since 2007, and uh, you know, guys like Giles Bonnet uh, probably set the ball in motion back then. Um, and from then, it's kind of snowballed into, you know, bringing in some really high-quality coaches from uh, from the Southern Hemisphere, from from Australia, New Zealand in particular, um, not only into their national setup, but also into their club setup. And and you'll argue that the Belgian competition is uh, is getting to the point of being, uh, you know, as big uh, as the Hofklasse in, in terms of European competitions, up there with the, with the German competition. And you can you can just tell by the by the by the quality of players coming out of that um, coming out of that 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 setup. I mean, the the Belgian squad is deep. They probably could have um, selected a, a number of other players for this tournament and and still 
um, you know, still achieved what they've achieved here. You look at a guy like uh, Tomar Briles, who wasn't even selected in, in the initial 16. Um, you know, when you can make a, a choice like that to leave your your captain uh, and a three over 300 cap international out of your Olympic 16, um, you know, he eventually did play because of the change in rules. But, uh, you know, those those types of decisions also means that you have a, you know, a wealth of uh, of options available to you, and uh, you know, credit to Shane. I think he's he's made some some bold decisions, and and they've paid off. And you know, for him to stick around an extra year to 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 make this a reality, you know, I think we all we all watched the we saw the footage of him after the game in the dugout on his own, you know, just having a moment and letting it sink in. You know, I think uh, I don't think there would have been many hockey players or hockey lovers, uh, no matter who you root for, seeing that and not uh, you're not not getting a goosebumps or a little shiver down the spine and out of sheer respect for someone that's put so much into the game. Yeah. Another man who's put a lot into the game and uh, deservingly sits atop the uh, winner's podium is Craig Fulton, um, ex-teammate, current friend for the two of you guys. I mean, yeah. What will this mean to to Nettie and, and what's next for him? Yeah, very, very good question. I mean, I know he's got a he's got a pretty good setup. Uh, you know, coaching his club hockey in in, in Belgium, where uh, where I almost made my way to this last season. Um, but yeah, fantastic work for for Neddy. I mean, you know, we 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 know him as a fantastic coach. We know him as someone that uh, you know would have loved to have been at the helm of of, of South African hockey a while ago, uh, and that opportunity you know never never came. So he went and looked elsewhere, and you know, look at what he's done with uh, with some some fantastic setups uh, over the last couple of years. He's he's developed into a really fantastic coach, um, someone that really connects with the players really well. Um, and and I think that that's been his role. Yeah, you know, Shane is a is a master tactician and 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 keeps an eye on the details. And you've got Michelle van der Heuvel, um, you know, there to, you know, really uh, you know hammer home the the, the details of the players. And then that's what he's known for. And Nettie is the kind of guy that's just gonna gonna be there to kind of bring the vibe and and bring the, you know, the fun element into into the group and make sure the guys are enjoying themselves while getting the best out of themselves. And you could just see it in this Belgian team. You know, any minute of the game. These guys are playing with so much intensity and so much energy, but also just enjoying themselves. Absolutely loving what they're able to do, what they're what they've you know they they they've, they've been been um, working so hard to do, uh, and the confidence just drips off them. I mean, young guys like uh, like Antoine Kina just just trapping half bouncy balls in the backhand and eliminating one or two players. I mean, this guy's in his early twenties and he looks like he's been playing international hockey for for fifteen years. I mean, it's. Uh, this 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 is really a team that uh, it would have been a, a massive surprise, I think, if if they hadn't uh, achieved what they did. And I think that's down to a fantastic um, staff setup that they've that they've managed to to get around the, get around the group. Another interesting thing is uh, the South African men finished with the fifth most goals in the tournament, um, be, behind the top four, playing obviously two games less than most. Uh, that must be a a well, you won't be happy that you're at the tournament, but it must be a, a nice positive sign for them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, being able to score goals against the best teams in the world um, is is a massive achievement uh, at the best of times. And and you know, you, we've we've seen the team kind of come out with their own brand of hockey uh, and attacking. Um, you know what I would like to call a South African brand of hockey, and if that means you're going to concede a few at the back, yeah, that so be it. Uh, that that's part of that's part of the process. And 
I think we've really developed a, a group of players up front that are, are able to to score goals against against the very best in the world. So they'll definitely take that going forward and um, you know use it also going into into big tournaments next year. And not just the just scoring against the best team, but also scoring against the best keeper. You know, like at the end of the day, a goal scoring opportunity is is a battle between that person taking the shot and the keeper. And knowing that our players are capable of of still outsmarting and outskilling the best keeper in the world when given the opportunity, I think that that's a huge uh, compliment and motivation to keep raising the bar. Yeah, definitely. So, so let's let's uh, talk about the men's tournaments. Uh, and I, I haven't really prepped uh, you guys for this question, <laughs> so apologies, but. Who are the standout players, uh, you know, both from the young sides, um, uh, from the younger players, but also which players stood out for you? I, I don't need to necessarily say a player of the tournament, but two or three players. Oh, let me just stop there. Two or three players that stood out for you over the course of the tournament. Mark, you want to take us away? Or, uh... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, for me... Um, of course, uh, Hendrix with his um, conversion rates on the penalty corner. Um, I think, you know, um, Justin, you know him from the Holves Plus as well. Um, yeah. When I, What has been really impressive for me is that in the environment where you're with your uh, national team and you're given the, the space and the confidence, um, he's, he's stepped up to it in his infield play. Um, and then, but then stepping up for your team in the moments that count the most, which is your job to put away the drag flick. Everybody knows yeah. in the whole cluster that is extremely dangerous there. So I think all teams um, play around to make sure that you don't concede a penalty corner against them in, in the yeah. club league. But in, the, you know, for the Belgians, they, you, you couldn't do that because they were just all round good all over the field. And, um, he knows his job and that's to score at the penalty corner. And I, for me, that is to be able to do that under pressure time and time again. You, yeah. yeah, I put him at, uh, as one of my, my top players. Um, and then, you know, to be honest, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play some tribute to, to players who we said goodbye to early in, in the tournament. And of course, we can't ignore um, our Kasim brothers who came yeah. and and put you know shock the world with who are these young south africans and yeah. um uh, we we spoke about them in length so i won't spend too much time um on them but i they would definitely go down for me as top players and then i would like to also pay tribute to our player like david allegra from uh, from spain yeah. who is just solid his work rate is incredible He's got the skill, but he's not the flashiest player if you compare him to, to the others, the likes of, um, um, what's his name, Felix, in, in the Belgian team. And, you, you know, he's not, he's not the flashiest, but you, he does stand out for Spain. And when he's not there, uh, yeah. I think that there's going to be a hole. So Certainly. those would be my players that I would like to uh, mention. I think you've uh, you've named some 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 yeah quality players there, Marsh, and uh, you know I, I think obviously looking at the final Hendricks, um, you know hard to hard to look past. Um, and I chatted very briefly to Ty about this before before this podcast, but 
for me, I think it's also difficult to look past uh, Vincent Van Asch, um, yeah. as, as as somebody that's just, you know, he's one of those players that you don't necessarily notice during the game making incredible saves because it's almost expected of him now. Um, yeah. And having having been lucky enough to spend time with him in, in Delhi or at, at the Hockey in Italy playing for the Delhi Wave Riders, um, there are not many people in the world that I would um, I would just love to have achieved this than him. Um, knowing his work ethic and his commitment, uh, it it is exceptional. It is probably that he's the most he's the hardest working athlete I've ever come across. This is a goalkeeper. Um, you know, he has really taken goalkeeping and the skill of goalkeeping to a whole nother level. And um, just looking at the confidence that he had in the final, um, you know, making some incredible saves, but then also having the mental strength to save the winning shootout, have it referred and have to retake it, come back and then saving it again. Uh, you know, that, that is mental fortitude at a whole nother level. So uh, a big shout out to, to, uh, to Vincent. I think for me, somebody that really stood out, um, I'm going to follow your trend of, uh, of of speaking about Spanish players. And again, I'm, my, my dad's going to be chuffed with me, but I'm, I'm going with the keeper, Kiko Cortez. Uh, you know, again, somebody that's done such a service to to the game. Um, you know, an absolute character, an absolute standout performer for so many years. Uh, you know, I think he'll be he'll be really chuffed with the way that he ended his career. Um, and looking at, at our South African side, the Kasim brothers would definitely stand out. It's hard to, hard to look past them. Um, but I do think it's worth mentioning um, somebody that I kept an eye on throughout the tournament and I think kind of glued the team together uh, for, for a long period of the tournament was, was Nick Spooner, um, somebody that I thought really just did his job but, but had loads of energy to get up in attack, support, score goals, uh, get back in defense, um, kind of run the midfield. And, and yeah, that, that was really kind of uh, an important role for me in this tournament, you know, keeping the connection between the strikers and the, and the defenders where that, that, that stretch can happen quite quickly where you have a disjoint between your strikers and your defenders. And I think the whole midfield did a really fantastic job in keeping that together. And, and, a, and a particular um, highlight for me was watching Nick, um, yeah, really, really kind of come into his own in the national side during this tournament. Yeah. One or two other names that uh, have popped up, obviously, uh, uh, from uh, Spain, just just because, I mean, he's a legend in his own right, um, well, in everyone's right, but uh, <laughs> yeah, Paul Kamada, the goal Kamada, scored yeah. against uh, Australia to, to seal the draw and obviously yeah. keep him in the tournament was just, maybe he didn't have his best tournament, but absolutely, what a... a an outstanding, outstanding moment. Maybe the moment yeah. of the tournament besides South Africa beating Germany. I think if we're talking South Africa, the third part of uh, that front three of uh, Billy and Tuli, I think he competes the Cassines quite well. I also thought yeah. uh, for most of the tournament, we we saw a very impressive Aaron Zalewski. Aaron Zalewski, yeah, yeah. I mean, he so was, that, uh, that was definitely kind of, someone I was going to mention as well. Yeah, yeah, but but for me. Uh, I, I sit just the other side of Justin. I, I go Hendricks number one and Fanash number two, but the difference between the two and, and I mean, I completely see your reasoning there, Justin, is so close. Um, what a great tournament. Some great goals, some great moments and, and, and really worthy champions. But probably the story of the, the championship isn't the team that came first or second. It's the team that came third. Um, yeah, national heroes absolutely 
have have taken their country away. Do you know, I, I didn't realize this, but India have not won, they have, sorry, they've only won one Olympic gold medal since their yeah. hockey team won in 1980. 80, yeah, incredible. A country of their size has only won one. Yeah. In that time, South Africa's won 15 or 16, I think it is now, yeah. with Tatiana. And yeah, it puts our, our achievements there in perspective as well. You know, I've seen a lot of people kind of uh, whining a bit about how, how we're achieving at the Olympics. I think that puts, puts things in perspective to a certain degree. Absolutely. Uh, just, but but what an what a entertaining game yesterday. Again, the Germans all over India, 24 shots. And they managed to get four goals. Uh, uh, Firk, Aarhus, Velen, uh, and uh, Vinfeder. And in truth, Early doors, uh, when they got uh, the third goal in the 25th minute, they were 3-0 up, you thought, or sorry, 3-1 up. You thought, okay, Germany have the bronze medal. And then India roared back in the space of seven minutes, scored four goals and turned a a 3-1 deficit into a 5-3 lead. It It was sensational, that end of second quarter, beginning of third quarter. They then did enough to hang on and... Arguably, it is the most popular medal at this entire Olympics. Is is this one? You know, just you've played in hockey India league. You know what it's like, Marsh. You've played uh, again in India before. You know what it's like. I, I don't. Not many of our listeners do. Just explain to us how impactful you think this could be on Indian hockey. Well, Ty, I don't think it's only on Indian hockey. I think it's going to be a massive impact on world hockey. And looking what the what the women have achieved, uh, you know, they finished stone last at the at, in, in Rio. Um, they've made the semifinals. The men have made the semifinals. Um, and I think it's going to be massive for hockey in general. Um, you know, India having so much support for the game and and, and obviously having a, a fairly important, um, you know, member of the FIH uh, coming from India as well. Um you know the achievement for the for the guys is massive. A bronze medal is is huge for them. These guys have worked really really hard, and I know the staff behind the scenes have worked incredibly hard. Um, I also worked with with Graham Reed, and uh, I know what he's like as a human. And I think it would have uh, would have been quite tough uh, losing what was a seven one I think to Australia during the course of the tournament. But he would have he would have wanted to bite back and fight back, and um, and you saw that in this Indian team. They they didn't let any game. Uh, from that moment, get away from them. They were they were competitive. They played a, a fantastic brand of of exciting hockey. Um, and you always know with with India that you know anything can happen. Uh, the game's never over. They're gonna they're gonna bring out some some unseen skill or some little bit of magic that's just gonna that's just gonna you know turn things on their on their head. And oh, it was I'm, I'm so stoked for the guys. You know a lot of these guys have, that have got bronze medals are, are guys that I've played with and have been teammates and I've spent weeks with on tour in India and um, you know, knowing what it's going to do for them and for their future is uh, is, is huge. Um, I'm muted. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can. can you hear me? No, we can hear you. Oh, okay, we can now hear you can hear me now. Okay, <laughs> sorry, I was thought that I had been muted. Um, yeah, I think Justin, you've totally summed it up on how much this is going to impact world hockey. It's been um, an extremely long time that. You know, we've missed India at the top of, of hockey in the world. Um, but, you know, just uh, if I go back to, if you just reflect on how long this journey actually has been for them, uh, you've played at Hockey India League. But if you reflect back to the stars of Hockey India League, one of their weakest points 
was their goalkeepers. Yeah. And uh, if you look at how Srijesh has just climbed, you know, his way into, worked his way into being one of the uh, best goalkeepers in the world, he's, that also uh, speaks a lot for the amount of time and effort that they have put into their uh, program and identifying their weaknesses and doing something about it. The whole concept behind Hockey India League was to get India hockey back on the map. And it's taken a long time and it's taken some hard knocks, um, lots of learnings along the way. Um, and, uh, you know, finally they get the reward for all those years of a lot of time, effort, and investment. Uh, you know, so I think that they're well deserving of this. Never mind, it's all the compliments that we can give them for the type of, of hockey they play and their mindset and their um, attitude going into to this event. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, a, it's a community that are, are pumped. And, do you know, on another day, if they uh, had, maybe if the draw had worked out that they were playing Australia in the semifinal rather... I, th I think they had the game. I know they got thumped by Australia in the group stage, but I think they had a game that could really uh, ruffle the Australian feathers. I think uh, Belgium's all-round game just was too much for them. But let's put a pin in the men's tournament. It was fantastic. Our world number ones, Belgium, absolutely superb. In truth, though, in that final, we weren't really sure who was going to win. We, we thought it would be Belgium, but it was anyone's game. I don't think the same could be said for today's final. And uh, Justin, I know it's one of your great friends and one of your best coaches over the years in Alison Annan, who is the champion with Netherlands. In 2016, they were stunned by Great Britain in the final. In a game there, Maddie Hinch probably played the game that made her the keeper she is today, the, the personality she is. Yeah. But uh, Argentina would have needed... 11 players to do that today. Netherlands were all over them from first to last and, uh, you know, ran out 3-1. But in truth, 3-1 was probably a uh, unfair scoreline for the Netherlands. It, they were that much in control. Yeah, obviously, super, super stoked for, for Alison. Um, you know, I, I know how hard she works and I know the attention to detail that goes in behind the scenes. And um, I think that would have been something that, that would, have, would have haunted her a little bit from, uh, from, from Rio. Um, you know, I think they deserved it then and, they, and they've certainly showed that after the, over the last, uh, you know, what is it, five years since then that, that they are by far the best team in the world. So, you know, I don't think there was, um, you know, from the spectators' perspective, any, any hesitation or any doubt that the, that the Dutch were going to pull off a, a victory today. But, um, you know, it's still an Olympic gold medal match. Uh, you're playing against a team that is arguably, um, you know, always uh, you know, going to be playing that, that second best uh, team in the world role. Um, you know, I think in this tournament, Australia might have, might have provided a, a slightly better competition in the, in the final. Um, but yeah, uh, Dutch just uh, a class above. Um, fantastic to see that uh, the issues that they had with their with their penalty corners, um, you know, throughout the tournament coming right uh, when it when it when it needed to. Um, and yeah, for 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 Kaya from Masaka, you know, playing her last game um, uh, before retiring, scoring two goals in the Olympic final and, and getting gold. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's pretty exceptional. It's a, it's an interesting one that because. I don't know if, if you saw I posted it on, on the on our WhatsApp group, Justin, but 
before today, she was one from 24 from penalty corner. But big yeah. game, big moment, two from three, and uh, ultimately she was the difference between the two sides today. Yeah, but... Yeah. Sorry, Rashford. <laughs> Sorry, I was just going to say about the, the stats, you know. Um, I don't know if it was one of 24 that she had the opportunity for, for all 24 because that's the strength of the Dutch woman at the moment is that they've got options on, the, on that uh, drag flick. They've got Motler and they've got her. And we know that Ava can also step up and... Uh, and, Lauren Stum and do something also from the corners. Stum, yeah. Exactly. Um, so they've got they've got a wealth of options, and um, I would like to see a little. You know, it would be interesting to see if how many kind of missed of her opportunities she got. But we know that with her experience, um, she is capable of putting it away. And today she just proved that. The, the player that got on the end of the first one, of course, was Margot van Geffen. And, yeah. uh, you know, this is a player we've known for long. She's a player that revels in, in the spotlight. She's a player that uh, um, that uh, was quite uh, vocal about GB. Yeah. And I enjoy it. Um, I really did. I, I, I enjoy a little bit of spice like that. So, uh, yeah, it was great to see her. And arguably, she was one of the players who put her hands up to be player of the tournament. Yeah, I think she's always consistent and that's what we like about her. And she definitely is a match winner for the Netherlands, whether it is in the skill that she's going to bring to the team or whether it's the motivation that she's going to she's going to bring. And that's she can carry a team on her shoulders. She's a quiet leader in that sense of um, she doesn't need a, a bad a, a captain's band or anything like this, but she is a, a leader on the on the pitch. Um, in the way she motivates the the girls, but one of the other standout players for me in the Dutch team was on the Vard. In you know she is young, but she created a lot. And whether it comes off the platform from somebody like Moho, who is so you muted yourself, Mosh. Halfway through that. Well, well, Marsha figures. There we go. There we go. You had a, you had a, a, a momentary green card. You are back yeah. from your uh, suspension. Yes. <laughs> okay. So it was, yeah, I was saying that Marsha. You know, I don't know whether Sonny can stand out so much because she's surrounded by players like Marsha who do all the hard work and are solid and have the skill. You know, so they can complement each other and balance it out. But. I do think that Sanderart was a standout player for me this whole tournament for the Dutch woman. Yeah, no, I 100% agree, Marsh. And I mean, looking at looking at Macho and the role she plays, you know, she's come from being a, a very solid defender in that mix to, to stepping into the midfield. Um, that's also not easy to do in the best team in the world. All of a sudden, just taking on a new role, and you know, she's grabbed the opportunity. And 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 like you say, she's a quiet leader. She gets on with her role. She's a fighter. Um, you know, and she's not scared to open her mouth and and yeah, I guess in a, in a way be typically Dutch and and, and say what she feels. Um, you know, yeah. where a lot of the other players are maybe a little bit more modest in in when especially when it comes to speaking with the press. So you know, I think it's uh, I think I think she's been fantastic in this tournament. I think she's uh, she's stood up and, and got assists and scored goals when she's when she's needed to. Um, 
And speaking on players that have stood out, uh, Jean, obviously, uh, you know, another fantastic midfielder. And she's proven it over the last couple of years that she's got the, the ability to play at this level. But uh, for me, someone that I, I think I definitely need to mention, and I, I think I tweeted about this earlier this week, is, is Felice Alberts. And this is, a, this is a, a, a young girl who, who, who was, you know, doubted. Uh, nobody was sure whether she'd be, be selected. She had a pretty good European Cup, but um, you know she's not an out-and-out striker. She's 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 been a midfielder most of her most of her youth career. Um, and you know, Alison put her in, and geez, what a, what a performance! What a tournament from her! I mean, she scored some some incredibly vital goals during the course of the tournament, and has just been dripping with confidence. Um, you know, really, really, just someone I think that we can keep an eye out for for the future. And, uh, you know, I think someone that reminds me very much of, of a player like Kim Lummers, who's just always in the right place at the right time, can score with a variety of skills, and um, and has got a good work rate. Um, so I'm looking forward to watching her grow into into that Dutch team over the next couple of years. And a good uh, mindset. Did you see her Certainly. interview before? She said uh, she had less than 10 caps and she already said, I, my goal is to figure out how I stay in this team longer. And yeah. that I think is really, you know, one, it's realistic of the fact that the competition is tight because I yeah. think, it, Justin, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that there's any single player in the squad that has... Um, not missed a major event or, or games and whether it was being no, dropped no. or injured. Yeah. Every single one of these players has experience being either dropped, the majority have yeah, been dropped yeah. sometime in their career, or they've been, in, there's only about three or four that have missed out due to injury. But for the injury, rest, yeah, they've yeah. all had moments of huge disappointment where they've got to fight their way back into the team. Yeah, yeah, and that um, just shows the shows the quality of that of that setup is that yeah. it doesn't matter who you, it doesn't matter who you select you you're always going to be putting up one of the if not the most competitive teams uh, you know one of the most competitive teams at any tournament. Yeah, and the players and how much harder they've got to work to be yeah. in the setup. Well, yeah. it, it wouldn't be an unfair statement to say that uh, if the Dutch could take a second team, they would be a medal contention team. <laughs> that is how good their Certainly. program is. And, and that's not to be disrespectful to other nations. The gap between one and two, uh, unfortunately, as we've seen today, is quite large. It is a rather big gap, but hopefully that is the kind of ambition that it teaches other teams to look at their programs and say, let's go. You know, for Argentina, I think uh, they probably come to this tournament and say a silver medal is probably more than we were necessarily backing ourselves to get. Um, so we'll be pretty proud. Obviously, you're always disappointed once you get there. I think Great Britain uh, probably performed outside of uh, of their expectations, or maybe they they would disagree with me. But I think they've they've achieved uh, quite well. India making the final four is absolutely sensational. I think. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, Australia would be disappointed. I think uh, potentially Spain would be disappointed that they. Uh, didn't take the opportunity available to them. Uh, you know, Ireland would be very disappointed with their performance. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think if you look at the top four, you've largely got four happy teams. And below that, eight teams who all, to varying degrees, feel they could have done better. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair point, uh, Ty. I mean, I must admit, I mean... <laughs> I think it must be really difficult going into a tournament 
um, for any team knowing that that the Dutch are, are, are I mean, it, it's hard to not acknowledge the fact that they're so far ahead. So, you know, I think you've hit the nail on the head there that the teams in the, in the, in the top four will be happy with where they finished. Uh, I think India probably being the most happy, uh, apart from the gold medalists, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, looking at the other teams, it's, yeah, it's always going to be a battle, um, you know, when the, when, the, when the distance between the quality of the teams, especially in that group from, from four down, is, is so much smaller than what it is above, above that. Um, you know, so you've seen teams like Ireland maybe overperform in the last couple of years. Um, and, yeah, again, like I think Marsh said before we started this, this recording, you know, a lot of teams go through ebbs and flows of quality and of performance and um, not everyone gets the timing right. And uh, GB are a, are a great example of a team that know how to get the timing right. They, they peak at the right times and they've shown it again. They probably didn't have their best squad and they probably didn't have uh, their best tournament, but they've still ground out a, a bronze medal, which, um, you know, credit to them. They've, They've again uh, pulled off a medal at the at the world's biggest sporting event, um, you know, through a combination of timing, through a combination of timing and um, you know and work ethic and, and and a good program, I think. Yeah, it's it's a great point. That's three Olympic games in a row that they've medaled. You can't now start saying it's a shock anymore. Um, no, yeah, definitely not. Certainly, our expectations and. Yeah, I suppose the 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 thing that does offer itself quite an exciting prospect right now is that um is that we're less than a year from the commonwealth games we are less than a year from the world cup you know usually post olympics you kind of let the momentum completely fall apart uh and rebuild but dynamics have to change now because of the way covid has changed the process yeah i think it's going to be interesting to see how the teams manage uh manage their squads manage their players um, you know, there's not a big break now before going into the European seasons. So I think a lot of players will be, uh, you know, will, will have heavy legs and, 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 you know, I think mentally be quite strained after, after going through what they've had to go through to get to, to get to Tokyo. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the, how the national associations manage those players, um, going into another very, very intense international hockey year. Um, you know, I think, Players are going to have to look after themselves. They're going to have to prepare well, um, you know, physically and mentally for for the upcoming club season because you can't really take the foot off the gas. You want to make sure that you're keeping your level high and um, and preparing yourselves uh, yourself well for a yeah for an intense uh, 2022. There's some major tournaments and, and more opportunities to get medals. And you know, I think teams are becoming more and more hungry to to achieve those medals and achieve those goals. And uh, I'm, I'm for one, I'm very, very intrigued to see how uh, how the teams are going to manage, um, yeah, manage their build up into into the major tournaments of, of next year. We've also got a, a jam packed calendar because we know we've got the for South Africa now. We've got the Nations Cup, we've got the Africa Cup of Nations, the World Cup, and the Commonwealth Games all in the space of fourteen months. Marsh, but isn't isn't yeah. that super exciting as well? Because it's like COVID Brilliant. has has also disrupted a lot of the programs, but then it also um, gave us insight to some of the innovative ways coaches have had to adapt and national associations have had to adapt, uh, you know, at a, at a certain point, everybody was in the same boat. We were in yeah. lockdown. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, so um, it's interesting. Uh, there's so many things that we can learn, but at the same time with the short timeline, 
uh, everybody's going to have to be adaptive and innovative. We, we can't be proactive anymore. We're going to have to be a little bit reactive to the circumstances. And for some of the countries, if you look at the Australians, um, they, they went home extremely disappointed at their quarterfinal uh, result. And they still in a two-week lockdown. They have to stay yeah. in, in quarantine before they can quarantine go and get comforted by their families so you know uh does that count yeah, and, as individual lockdown as well exactly yeah. does that count as your post-olympic rest when actually mentally it's probably one of the most difficult times of your life having to be yeah. in uh in quarantine off on the back end of, of something that is so heartbreaking as going home yeah. too early for for your ambition so yeah, it's, it's for very, me. I'm quite excited to see what uh, what new adaptions are made to our thought process. It's a very interesting yeah. point because Ashley Barty, uh, obviously an Australian as well, had to stay away from home for twelve uh, for twelve months because she could not get home. Uh, so usually she would do a, a stint in Europe of a month and go home for a month. But because she'd yeah. have to come home and quarantine for two weeks, she couldn't train. And so she'd lose all the gains. And yeah, it's, yeah I mean, it's a, a really big point, Marsha. Uh, so what's next? I think, you know, that's, that's what everybody wants to know from a South African point of view. What's next? What's our program going to be? You know, are we still red flagged everywhere? We know we're still on the red list for the UK, so it's difficult. Are our players going to get overseas to Europe? Are the, the leagues going to continue in a normal way? How much of normality is back? Or how much is it going to be innovation that guides the way? Yeah. The yeah. Well, the I, I league that... will start on the 12th yeah. of September. And uh, yeah, that's going to be as normal. And as far, as far as I understand, there will be spectators allowed as well. Um, so yeah, every country is just going to have to work within their own uh, challenges and limitations, yeah. I guess. I think I think my my concern there, Marsh, and, and looking at the South African setup, you know, with everybody being in lockdown and having been very limited in their amount of training they can do and, and the amount of camps they can have. Um, you know, we spoke about it being a leveler at the Olympics, and and I definitely think it's something that we as a as a country benef benefited from doing this Olympic Games. Um, that's not to say that the achievements wouldn't have been there if we'd had the perfect preparation. But you know, in South Africa, we don't always have the perfect preparation. We don't have the funding to put together the program that a lot of the other countries have. Um, you know, now with things maybe starting to open up a little bit more, are the traditionally stronger countries and and better financed countries going to go back to having these? exceptional programs um and and are we going to be able to you know match these performances that we've had now um if the other teams are going to be able to step up their, their training practices and their programs and, and and go back to where they were maybe prior to to COVID hitting um, i'm quite intrigued to see how we're going to adapt to that because I, I i can't see our our situation changing um very quickly i think there's uh, a nice base to work off now with the achievements that we've had in, in tokyo but you know these things do take time so it's going to be for me really interesting to see if we can if we can piggyback off the this this kind of um performance that we've had now and 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 push that into into 2022 or if it's going to be affected um with other teams kind of taking leaps and bounds because things are opening up again yeah absolutely just uh, i mean you know, how much of the gains that we've made do we lose now? Um, and that, yeah. that's, that's something that's very important for Robin van Ginkel, for Gareth Ewing, 
uh, and, and probably even more than them for uh, Gary Dolly, Reggie at the high performance, whoever's taking over there. You know, we got to make some important decisions now that, that bring the best out of our teams. Our woman. We know. know. Her, yeah, sorry, Marsh. Sorry, uh, but we do know that, um, that we've been quite open about encouraging the men in particular to play in the European League. So hopefully if that um, is a success and we get some of the players, they, you know, Justin, you can speak about it, but at club level, they're training five times a week and they're playing a competitive game on the weekend. So that hopefully will also help keep the momentum. But yes, it's disruptive to any national program where, other national teams are doing that plus a national program alongside. But, yes. you know, I guess at, the, at, certain, at a certain level, we've also got to accept the situation for, for what it is and, and work off those opportunities. I'm not sure um, if we have the same replicated on the women's side, but I can also imagine that if all your players are based in Europe, it does also present some other challenges for you on the ground. Yeah, definitely, and and you know that's something that that the you know the national staffs are going to have to work out, um, and you know it is a discussion that we've been having behind the scenes on the WhatsApp groups and you know speaking to a lot of people about. But I think um, you know a lot of the good, a lot of the best um, national teams over the last few years have been able to successfully combine the two. You know, Argentina have have had most of their players based in Europe um, for a long time, and that's resulted in them um, becoming Olympic champions. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, so. Uh, I think it is possible. Um, I think it requires, um, you know, some some structure and 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 you know, clear communication to be in place. But um, you know, with that said, I do think the opportunity is there. And I think now, with our world ranking having been bumped up, uh, especially for the men, um, you know, that should make the process of getting into Europe to play a little bit easier as well. You know, that's been a challenge for the last uh, five six years when we've been ranked outside the top ten. And if we can if we can keep a top ten place, it, it does make it easier. Um, so I'm hoping that we can uh, we can take advantage of that and, and and encourage guys to get overseas, you know, make make their mark uh, and, and also just improve the the level of the game for for the for the for the guys back home when they come back with the skills and the and the experiences that they've gained. Yeah, and the European leagues are also going to be flooded with a lot of Australians uh, this coming season. So, yeah. so we can also look into what are they doing with the short timing uh, because normally it's it's like they have a season that they can release their players and then the next season there's more they're more encouraged to stay at home and now they actually are you know there's an influx of Australians coming to to Europe as well so it'd be interesting to to also look into how they're managing on the ground um, yeah. given the short timeline definitely definitely and I mean I think uh, the same will go for for GB they've got quite a few players coming over um, so yeah I think it'll be interesting to see and it's, it's, it's something that I'm sure the staff will be very aware of and uh, and taking into the planning for the for the next couple of months an interesting fact that will also play a big part over the next 12 months is hockey is no longer a tournament-based ranking uh, system. Every match counts. And, of course, for the South Africans, the Commonwealth Games used to be an unranked event where uh, you could play against some weaker sides and if you didn't win, it was okay. So that will also play a big part in our rankings over the next uh, in the next year and rankings become so important for sponsors for invites so i think there's a nice dynamic there you've got the rankings you've got the tournaments you've got the nations cup you've got the commonwealth games you've got the world cup you've got the african cup of nations we can't assume we're at the world cup we still got to go qualify 
but there is a lot there. And what I can tell all of you listeners is we have a great group of hockey minds that want to get together and talk about the game and share thoughts and share insights. And so Hockey the Podcast will not be going anywhere. We'll have more series like Talking Tokyo where we bring special series. we got some exciting stuff coming up that I will reveal in, in due course. But it's been an absolute pleasure over these 14 days, 11 episodes we shared, the likes of Craig Jackson, uh, Moabi Malibi, whose surname I always pronounce terribly, Bruce Jacobs, uh, Tonello Polo, Sianola Chundu, Kate Woods, Marsha Cox, Justin Reedross, David Reedross, of course, uh, joining us, Dimples, uh, Marcel Keat, Sandile Bosman, Mark Saunders, Sulet Kutsia, Michael Baker, AJ Springs of Bridget Key, John Wright, Andy Bernstein, Brett Tucker, Owen and Vimby, and I don't think I've left anyone out, but Steve. I hope not. Steve Evans, of course. It's been great to, to hear your guys' thoughts. It's great to see people who, who are passionate about the game. It's great to see how many listeners want to talk about and listen to the game. And so it's been our pleasure. There will be so much more. Congratulations to Netherlands. Congratulations to Red Halkett. Congratulations to Belgium. Congratulations to Craig Fulton. We're proudly South African. We're proud of the South African achievements. But most of all, we love the game of hockey and we're here to tell the story. Marsh, Justin, thanks for helping me round it off. Tokyo has been great. I am looking forward to Paris's time zones being a little bit more uh, suited to us. Though. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Tyron. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, Tyron. Yeah, thanks, Marsh. Great to, great to speak with you guys. And uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, hopefully seeing you guys on the podcast again soon. Yeah. Cheers, everyone.